Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 15. Today's episode is all about resilience. I thought I'm going to interview Holocaust survivors, war vets, survivors of extreme trauma. Some were happy and jovial and lived productive lives, and others were angry and bitter, understandably. But I was like, what's the key? What's the difference? Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends. I hope you all are doing amazing. I'm really excited about today's interview, and it's got me thinking a lot about how we develop resilience how bad we perceive negative occurrences in our lives usually depends on our past experiences. If you've never had anything bad happen to you, your first breakup might be the hardest thing you've ever had to deal with, whereas your best friend might think your pain is trivial if she has already survived an accident and lost a family member. Over the last few weeks, I've had the privilege of being a guest on about 15 other podcasts, and in doing this, I'm reflecting on my story more than I ever have before. I'm realizing how much my downward spiral had to do with the fact that I was ill-equipped to deal with trauma when they all hit back to back. My guest today can definitely relate. Only her story is mine turned up about three notches. She survived a life-changing trauma that would have broken most people. But instead, she refocused her life and used her experience to create an educational framework for people who have faced challenges or adversity that empowers them. She never expected to be an expert in resilience, but what began as a method of survival turned into her life's purpose. Now she's a best-selling author. She's provided commentary on tons of news channels like CNN and HLN. Her educational framework has been profiled by PBS, and she's helped over a quarter of a million people learn to be successful, self-confident, and happy no matter what comes their way. To top it off, Forbes even named her one of their top four favorite TED speakers, saying that she has something very important to teach about reaching your fullest potential on this planet. Three key things you will learn are why self-care is necessary and not selfish, how to find strength and resilience when we feel broken, and how to free ourselves through forgiveness, even when it seems impossible. So now that you're as excited as I am, here is Cheryl Hunter to tell us all about her story. I grew up on a horse ranch in Colorado, super, super remote. And it, I mean, like, no other signs of civilization visible remote. And you know, I used to watch planes flying overhead and think, oh, those people are really going someplace. I wish I were. 
lucky enough to be on a plane heading somewhere exciting, some city somewhere. And when I got to be a teenager, I was like, that's it. I'm going to get out of here. It, it was idyllic and heavenly as a little kid. But, you know, as a teenager, I just wanted to see the city and, and meet people, you know, that weren't in my family that I wasn't related to by blood. And so I was like, this is it. I'm going to I'm going to figure out how to go to the city and talk to a girlfriend into going to Europe with me. And no sooner did we get there, we were, we were we got to France. Then a man with a camera around his neck came up and said, hey, are you a model? I can make you one. And I thought, oh, wow, this is my ticket out. This is my ticket into the big city. There's no modeling in Rye, Colorado. Nobody's going to argue with me that I have to stay in the big city for this. So my friend was like, no, 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 no. You're not going with two guys here. But she you know, went off and did what she was doing, and I snuck out and met them. It doesn't take a lot of thinking to realize that they weren't photographers. This was all a ploy. They were criminals. They drugged me. They took me to a construction site and held me for days. And it was two men and me. And they beat the heck out of me. And you can fill in the rest of the gory details with your mind. But for some reason, they decided to let me go. They dumped me in a park in Nice. And I'd never dealt with anything like this, anything on that level, certainly anything, frankly, really horrible. And I didn't know how to deal with it. And the 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 only way I could figure out how to deal with it, you know, I was a teenager. I thought, I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen. I mean, you know, we're not trained in school or, you know, general life, how to deal with adversity, how to deal with challenges that are so much bigger than we've ever faced before. So when they happen, we're kind of at a loss. And I, I didn't want to to tell anyone anyone what had happened because I thought well they'll know that I'm I felt I felt now filthy and used up and rotten and and stupid so gullible I mean what an idiot would go with what what kind of fool would go with with men they don't know you know I all these reasons and just to, to to for my own sanity pretend it didn't happen that's the best I had so for years, I pretended it didn't happen and never spoke a word to anybody. I mean, not therapy, not anywhere, not to my family or friends. Nobody knew. Uh, but I, I needed help. I feel like my heart stopped several times during that story. You are so strong to have even made it long enough to get out of that position. Where did you turn to for help? I started reading books and I, you know, I went, I found a therapist, even though I sort of alluded to some non-consensual acts, you know, I didn't tell her more than that. Um, but I, I started taking some personal development programs and I felt better when I was there. Not so great when I wasn't. And I thought, ah, once I finished taking all that were available, I thought, what if I trained them to train myself to lead them? Not because I want to be a, a 
program leader or a coach or a like that, but because I'll then be able to help myself through this rough patch and kind of be the, the, at the source of it, you know, be the leader. And I ultimately saw what a difference it made with other people and thought, you know what, this through this crazy circuitous route ended up being my life's purpose. Going back to that day you escaped, you said that your captors left you in a park. Where did you go from there? What were your first steps to find help and to make sure you were safe? In those days, if you wanted to make a long distance phone call, you had to make them from a post office or an Amex office or some other place where they had to dial for you. And I ran and ran to, you know, we had gone when we, when we first arrived to call, you know, we call our folks and say, here we are. I mean, we were teenagers. They were, they had a lot of trepidation about letting us be out in the world anyway, but we had called and I saw it and I was like, okay, I went in. I mean, I looked like Lord only knows, you, you know, beaten up. They cut my hair. I mean, it was, I was a, a mess. And I went in and had them dial the phone number of my mother. And it was the middle of the night. And I said the words, I'm okay, I'm okay. okay. And rather than it being in a private phone booth, it was a bank of phones all along the wall separated, I don't know, two, three feet, something like this. And the ringleader, the guy with the camera around his neck, walks up and looks at me, leans against the wall, and I, and he goes, what are you doing? Like, I don't know how he followed me, I don't know what kind of crazy game of cat and mouse this was, but I literally just hung up the phone there, just hung it up, and I go, oh, no answer. And, you know, to, my, to this day, my mother and I now talk about that, that phone call. But then he asked me if I wanted to go out for a drink of all things, like we were friends or something. And I said, I said, excuse myself to go to the restroom, which is not what I did. I ran for my life and went and got my friend and we snuck out, grabbed all of our stuff, left half of it and went and hopped on a train. But that's just the escape. What I realized was that before long, you know, like I said, I wasn't going to tell anybody, but what I realized before long was that even though I was free, physically speaking, I felt more captive than ever. I have an idea, but in what ways did you feel more captive than ever? As you might imagine, I was running scenarios through my mind, what a shoulda, coulda kind of things and trying to figure out how to cope. And here's why I'm telling my story. There's, I don't share it because I like to trauma share or anything else. And for more than a decade, I'd never told a soul. But one night I was leading one of these personal development seminars and the it was a natural, it was natural that I share my story. It made a difference. And, and even, um, even though I'd never shared before, I decided to go through with it we were doing an exercise on forgiveness and my uh, assertion to everybody was that forgiveness really will set us free no matter what happened. And that it's not about setting the other person free, so to speak. It's really about releasing ourselves from the chains that we've been held by. And 
I, you know, I realized that this, this, this notion of captivity that I was facing on my own path to recovery wasn't something I was facing because I had been physically held captive. No, captivity is part of the human condition. And we all get stuck by something once we've faced adversity or challenges that are bigger than we know how to deal with and or, you know, or circumstances that we would never have chosen for ourselves. We can tend to get stuck or captive to those things. And I realized at that time that sharing my story would help people become free from what holds them captive. And I, you know, over the years I've designed an educational framework that is specifically for that. But, you know, it seems as though whenever we face adversity, we do just get stuck and it's a common thing, no matter what scale, where we are on the scale of adversity. That makes perfect sense. And I think that a lot of people need to reach a point in their healing to find the courage to share their story. At least that was my experience. But then when you do come out of the blue and find that courage, people have asked me why I'm sharing my story now. And you could almost see a little bit of skepticism, like, is this for attention? Or what are your motives behind this? I'm a firm believer that sharing our stories is very helpful, no matter what it is, because there's somebody else out there that might be dealing with the same thing. And for me, hearing other people's stories is what gave me the strength to step out of my victimhood. In your story, after you escaped and made your way back to the United States, you still pursued your dream of being a model. And this was before a lot of your healing work. So where did you find the strength to keep that dream rather than give up on it? Well, I I did feel traumatized by it, but... Uh, you know, I had to do something, you know, we're, we're all of us, when we all face challenges, every single human alive has had circumstances happen that they didn't want. And it's as if sometimes it's like part of a splinters off during that. And it's like, we move forward into the future feeling like, wait, I don't feel quite myself. I'm, we, we try to get back to like it was, we, feel like this cannot be all that there is seriously what is missing here and it's I think it's because we've lost a part of ourselves so my work is to help us get back to being whole again well we are whole but the experience of being whole so at the time I did feel that shattered splintered way you know as a teenager and I thought I'm I'm living life I gotta do something you know what I've gone through all this in service of being a model and and moving to the big city, forget it. I'm going to do it anyway. I was tall enough. I'd been on the boys' basketball team. It's like, I'm going to just do this. And somehow, the act of doing it anyway took the... It, it like it's, it's, it's like it took the reins away from those men. You know, for a time, I didn't do anything. You know, and I became very resentful, understandably so, toward men in all contexts. Like I had a a thing against men. And I thought, you know what, this is, no. One day I had this, something happen where I thought, those men have taken enough. And I put my foot down. I just said, "If, if I continue to be a different person and ruined 
you know, and it ruins my relationships with men and with myself and, and everything I want to do from this point forward, then they win. They keep taking from me, but they've taken enough, enough. And that was really the turning point that had me then go on to find viable solutions instead of just, you know, pretending it didn't happen as number one solution holding it together you know we, we don't know how to cope with a lot of these things we face we don't certainly don't learn at school people can try and help by saying oh just do this you'll feel better oh god gives never gives you more than you can handle you know these cliches we tell ourselves but it's kind of like really sometimes i kind of feel like he does <laughs> it's, it's like life does throw curveballs in our way and it's hard to deal with them but you know it's like once i made up my mind that enough I'm taking the reins back. It, it, there's this decision that that can, that issued forth and, and changed my actions and feelings and, and thoughts. And one of the things I decided to do was I, I thought, you know what, I may have it bad, but there's always people who've got it worse. Let me start to talk to some of them and feel or find out what they did to overcome. And I started volunteering at old age homes just because I wanted to get out of the conversations in my own head and, and I had to, I had to get a break. And I thought it would be so all encompassing because I you know, spent time with my elderly grandmother and she talked a lot and so did her friends. And I thought that will silence the voices in my head. I can't listen to two things at once. But I found there were a lot of Holocaust survivors. This is Los Angeles. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, they were still alive. And I thought, I'm going to interview them. Some were happy and jovial and lived productive lives, and others, understandably, were angry and bitter, understandably. But I was like, what's the key? What's the difference? So I started interviewing them, war vets, survivors of extreme trauma, ultimately, you know, 9-11 first responders. I made it my job to understand free, to study freedom and understand why some people overcome adversity while others never do. And those fundamental first understandings were the, the, the spine upon which I, I built the educational framework that I now teach. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. 
But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. I'm interested in that gap between both ends of the spectrum that you talked about. It seems like a lot of people have either overcome these big things or they're just letting life happen to them. And there's not a lot of in between. Do you have any tips for listeners at home to learn how to become more resilient when they do face adversity? Absolutely. So there, I kind of, people talk a lot about resilience, about uh, how to be resilient by, you know, it's a matter of getting up quickly once you've been knocked down. And definitely that's, that's, that's resilient. And, you know, we've all been resilient you know, whether we've identified that or not, we, it, what it is to be a human being, you've got to have a certain amount of resilience. But I think it's, it's the thing that's great about it is it can be developed like any other skill. Getting a great perspective can help. And one of the ways we can develop resilience. So there's the, there's the resilience, like the original kind of thoughts about resilience, which is, again, it's, it's how quickly you get backed up after back up after having been knocked down. I started looking at it like, well, what if there's like a resilience 2.0? What would that be? And I, one of the things I, I like to think that it is, is not getting knocked down so easily. Because as I was interviewing people initially and looking at myself, seeing just you know, normal things happen. I could feel like I got kind of knocked at, taken out for the day, knocked down a little bit. I thought, what if we created a way to be more pliable, more buoyant, more flexible in, in, in like we could kind of roll with the punches. And, and I created something that I initially was only doing with, with, with clients. And I thought, why not give this away to more people? And it's called the proven practices list. And let me tell you something about it. So the notion is if we could fill our own tanks and we didn't walk around on empty so much, you ever feel like that? Like you just like not one more freaking thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Quite often. (laughs) Right. It's like, we kind of operate like that. And I have to say sometimes if you're a caretaker anyway, in a way, in any way, or you're a woman, or you're, you know, having a career in these, which is pretty much everybody, right? I've covered all bases. We tend to like, we, we give until it hurts. We go without refueling. I mean, quite literally, like, you know, I talk to friends. I'm like, oh my god, I haven't eaten all day. I'm like, oh my god, me neither. What kind of kooky shit is that? I mean, we do these kind of things. Like, we don't eat when we need to. We don't sleep when we need to. We somehow feel like it's some badge of honor being busy. We don't fill our own tanks, and it's like in this society that 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 you know worships busy. You know, we're all winning the busy award, but missing out on something that could cause us to be resilient, really develop that. So the notion with the the proven practices list is if we can do these things every day, like truly a practice, then we can buoy ourselves up and make ourselves bounce rather than break. So here's, here's what they are. There are certain activities 
practices, if you will, that when you do them, they make you feel your best. They make you feel whole. They fill your tanks. They give you fuel to run on. They feed you and oftentimes even feed those around you. And the, the, I call them proven because not that they're proven to anybody else, like implicitly, inherently in these things, other, everybody gets their tanks filled. But whenever you do them, they're reliable. Over time, historically, whenever you do them, you're, you're just rocking. You're your best self. You go out there and kick ass. So I encourage you, I, I ask clients to come up with a list of 25 things. What, I mean, like if I say that to you, what are the things you could do, practices that you personally could do that fill your tanks? No question about it. An intense candlelit yoga class, live music, drinking a matcha latte by the beach, a massage, a sound bath meditation. And yes, I am realizing how LA I sound right now. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Mine's riding my bike at the beach. One of them. Yeah. So, you know, there's so many good ones. I have, you know, people say things like drawing. And who knows? Like you could listen to some and you're like, wow, drawing. I never thought about that. No, definitely not for me. But it's it doesn't matter if it, it works for anybody else. And the reason I, I say it's important to come up, up with a list of several, like I said, I ask clients to 25, is because even though they're proven to reliably cause us to be our best, not everyone works every time. If you're truly, truly spent and you say, oh, running is the thing, uh, yeah, not it's not going to be the day to do that. You're going to find need to find some other way that fills your tanks without physically depleting you. So you want to have an arsenal of them and not just do them when you're feeling stressed, although they're helpful then for certain to kind of turn things around, but rather make it your job, make it your religion, make it your thing you do every day to reliably fill your tanks by doing these practices. When we're filled up, and I mean, and, and, and you know, do things like that, that you know, the self-care items that, that make sure you're operating at your best. If we handle those things, sleep right, eat right, do what we know works, plus these proven practices, we're way less apt to get knocked down. And that enables us to be resilient on an ongoing basis, not have to muster the Herculean effort necessary to get back up once we've been knocked out flat. I love this. I have been keeping a list of rewards for myself, but it's been more to encourage productivity rather than ongoing self-care. What's interesting to me is that when you say, fill our tanks or reference the comparison of caring for a car, it makes perfect sense. And we all think, oh, yes, that's something that needs to be done. But when it's about our own bodies, it's not an immediate click for most people. Like we would never say, oh, my gosh, guys, I haven't gotten an oil change in six years. And <laughs> I have a flat tire and say it with pride. Right. Like imagine it would be like driving your car around on empty and going, what the hell? <laughs> Why are you not working? That's so true. Sorry to interrupt, but... 
The Mind Love Podcast is supported by CastBox, the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on iOS and Android. CastBox has over 50 million free episodes that more than 13 million users download and listen to wherever, whenever. CastBox has also pioneered a brand new way to search. All you have to do is enter a keyword or phrase and CastBox will search all show titles and transcripts of every single episode to deliver exactly what you're looking for. So head over to your app store, download CastBox and try it for yourself today. Well, I am excited to write my self-care list today. So we have to put this effort into caring for ourselves, and it doesn't seem like it comes naturally to most people. Why do you think that is? It's an interesting thing, isn't it? One of the things I teach is that, you know, when those circumstances happen that we wouldn't have chosen for ourselves... And, and, and make no mistake, I, I'm not saying all trauma is the same, but I'm saying we each face circumstances that are more than we can handle or that we didn't choose or don't prefer. And they, though, so trauma is a spectrum or challenges are a spectrum. And we may be anywhere there on the spectrum. And I'm not there to judge who it's, it's it, it, they impact us in a similar way no matter where you are on the spectrum. And the path of recovery, fortunately, is the same as well. So it's, you know, I think when we splinter off after facing challenges that are bigger than we know how to deal with, we, we it's like part of, and like I said earlier, about part of ourselves, we lose part of ourselves. I think there's a, when we've been victimized by something, and I know a lot of people inherently hate that word. It's like, I'm not a victim, damn it. Whoa, yo, yo. And I don't mean any disrespect by it, but when we've been victimized by any circumstance, just stay with me for a second. The victim mentality is self-recrimination and blame and self-hatred and all of these things that crush down upon a person. But we, and the, the, the real rub is we don't see it as it's occurring. And so we start beating ourselves up and, and blaming ourselves and shaming ourselves. All the while, it's happening underneath the con- level of our conscious awareness. And then we normalize it. It becomes normalized and habitualized over time so that operating at a deficit, not filling our tanks, operating without, operating with making ourselves wrong, beating ourselves up, whatever that is, hating ourselves, becomes the norm. So the notion of self-care flies in the face of that. It's like, wait, 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 that's antithetical to who I know myself to be and the way I treat myself. And it all happens underneath the level of our conscious awareness. It's that captivity of which I spoke. I mean, I've literally dedicated my whole life to reverse engineering this bad boy. But when we start to give to ourselves, it, it it's like a computer going, does not compute, does not compute, does not compute. And so some part, part of us fights that. And it's like, why is it so hard to receive when people give us something or ask for help or ask for what we need? We operate with our tanks empty. We operate without. We operate by denying ourselves what we want. And I think the source of it all 
is those incidents by which we've gotten victimized in the past and then going on this bender, beating ourselves up about it without having been quite awake to that. And if we can reverse engineer it all the way back and get to the source of it and you know tie up that those loose wires and complete that circle, we can be left free to give to ourselves, accept, win at the games we play in life. And that's the whole reason I do what I do today because I realize, again, I wasn't feeling captive because I'd been physically captive. I was feeling captive because that's what happens when we face challenge. And that's what happens for all of us. And if I can somehow give away what I've learned by dedicating my life to it, it makes what I've gone through okay. When you did find the courage to open up with your story, there's just so much vulnerability there. Was that scary? What did that feel like? Oh, well, I hadn't opened up for so many years because I, you know, thought people would judge me and feel, you know, grossed out or sorry for or think I'm stupid or think I'm damaged or whatever. But then I also didn't share because I thought, well, I didn't see justice served. I ran for my life. We hopped on a train and that was that. And I thought, these guys probably did the same thing to other women. And who the hell am I to have let them do that and not see justice served? And for that reason, I then, it, I, I, I continue to not speak up. And I thought if I ever were to tell anybody, people would hate me, people would judge me, people would come screaming, you know, with friggin' pitchforks, why didn't you get them put away? Well, fuck it, I didn't because I was a teenager and I did the best I could at the time. And I thought staying silent doesn't serve anymore. And I firmly believe a part of healing, a fundamental part, is being able to say what happened. It's one of the reasons I'm such a champion for this Me Too movement. I've been fortunate enough to speak about it on the national news many times because you know of my own story and then the work I do with victims to help them heal. And people say, oh, well, isn't this true trauma sharing? No, I mean, there is trauma sharing. Nobody's sitting here going, oh, you think that's bad? Look at mine, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let me tell you bad. No, trauma sharing doesn't help anybody. That's just a negative downward spiral. But authentically sharing what we've experienced in a safe space, that's fundamental to recovery. You can't recover from that which you're unwilling to claim and own. So it's cathartic for me in that way. But I really realized I had created an educational framework that I'd been beta testing and working with people for on for years. And it was a disservice I felt to be teaching people, and by the thousand at this point, thousands, tens of thousands at that point, and not say why. I thought, you know what, I'm no longer an 18 year old who went with these men. I'm bigger than that and I can handle, if anyone wants to throw a shit storm my way, I can stand in that fire. I'm willing to, because I know one, that if I give my, if I share my story and raise my voice, it gives other people permission to do the same. And fuck it, 
excuse my language, I'm like super impassioned by all this. I'm like, I am willing to stand in that fire. So I'm willing to do it. And two, it, if it lets one person know that they're not alone, I, again, I'm willing to face the fire for that. And I'm willing to be vulnerable for that and have people make whatever things. I, when I first shared my story, like really, really went out and shared it. I did a TEDx talk. I, well, somebody had interviewed me for a movie called Discover the Gift right before Hannon. And they'd asked me to share my story for TEDx Santa Monica. And I was like, you know what? I stared myself down in the mirror. I mean, literally physically stood in front of a mirror and I was like, am I going to do this? Am I going to say it? And I was like, I'm not a teenager anymore. I can handle it. And I think it will make a difference. And I just cried the whole time. I was standing there in front of the mirror. I was like, I'm going to do it. That's all there is. I'm giving it away. And people started writing in the comments, like, oh, she's damaged goods. Ooh, disgusting and all this. And I read the comments and I realized, you know what? Never again. <laughs> I'm just never reading comments. Trolls do whatever they do. And that, that makes uh, not my circus, not my monkeys. They're not my friggin' tribe. You know what? I'm going to give it away. And I don't care about it. So to come back to your question about the vulnerability and is it hard and is it yes and. For each of us that have gone through things, and we all have, that's what you know, we've been talking about this whole thing for each of us that has gone through challenges, find some safe space to speak it so that it no longer holds you captive. Silence is silence is the handcuffs that keeps us captive. And if we can break that silence in some safe space, I don't care if it's a therapy circle, I don't care if it's some group coaching. I don't care if it's to a best friend or a spouse or a minister or whomever. You know who your safe people are. Find them if you don't have them. But speak your truth. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself. And it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month. And their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. First of all, I watched your TED Talk and it is amazing. I was in a public place and it brought me to tears unexpectedly, but it just moved me so much. And (sighs) trolls make me sick. You mention in your TED Talk that you were afraid to open up about your story because you didn't want to feel like damaged goods. So I know they just took that vulnerability and they exploit it probably due to their own pain and insecurities and this bottom feeder mentality of pulling people down to their level. Yeah. You know, when we've got unhealed stuff, we act it would do inappropriate stuff with it. You know, when stuff is like wounds are there, we take it out of people around us. We like in the case of these trolls, take it out on other people. This is not somebody who's well and happy and dealing with their dealing with their stuff, you know. And I have to say, I've made my mantra—I mean, literally, my mantra—not <laughs> for meditation, but whenever something starts to hook me, I'm like, "Not my circus, not my monkeys, not my circus, not my monkeys, not my mama, not my monkeys, not my monkeys, not my circus." Go away, people. Okay, fine. <laughs> you know, it's like people are going to do what they do. How do you be resilient in the midst of it? That goofy mantra has helped. I tell you, the proven practices have helped. And I, finding my tribe has really helped. And that's it's like, you know, people will get you or they won't. The people that don't, the people that are going to detract, they're not your people. The people who say any negative stuff, forget it. They're not your people. The people, you know who your people are. You hear it. It's unfrigging deniable when they're there. When you were going through all of this, what role did forgiveness play in your healing and your success? Whether it was forgiving the men who abducted you, forgiving yourself for what you were beating yourself up about, and even trolls or the people that tried to bring you down afterward. Yeah. It took a while. I mean, it just, it just did to, to get to that place. I, you know, I kept trying to read books and do all these things and, 
I saw I, I, I wrote a book called Use It, Turn Setbacks into Success, because I, I saw that we could use ultimately use the bad things that had happened to us. But initially in, in, in the book, I talk about how somebody said something. I was at dinner with a family friend, somebody who a person I really liked. And he said something where he goes, he was making some joke that it was like wildly inappropriate, but it was an older man. And I, I loved him and the family. And he just goes, hey, boy, if rape is inevitable, we might as well lie back and enjoy it. And I was like, that is deplorable. I got so hooked by it. I didn't say anything. I didn't say, I just kept saying those things to myself, like, God. And I finally got home. I couldn't sleep all night. We were, we had been at dinner when I heard him say this. And I thought, that stuff is not healed. There's some forgiveness here that has not happened. And I, I conjured up this image of the two men in front of me. I mean, it was like the first time I'd been willing to do that. I, why would I want to see those disgusting faces? You know, I thought to myself before. But I realized that by not forgiving them, there was still this tie there. There was still so much charge there. There was still incompletion. And I consider myself a spiritual person, but I'd been stuck in the muck and mire of being human and like, forget it. You bastards are going to pay. Someday I'm going to be rich and hire hitmen and, you know, all this like crazy, fantastical thinking stuff. But I thought I'm unwilling to be tied to them anymore. And my access is forgiving them, not for their freedom, for mine not to set them free, but to set me free. And ultimately I got to the place where I'm like, you know what? God bless them. Set them free. I don't want to be tied to them in any way, but I had to first get to not for them, but for me. And it, you know, it's been a process of many levels, many layers of forgiveness, Melissa, but ultimately you were very astute. I have to say in saying that ultimately it came down to forgiving myself and that was the biggie. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and everything else that you're doing. You've done five TED Talks, you've written several books, and you've helped so many people, really. And you're stronger, not broken. So for those listeners that are resonating with some part of your story, even in a small way, what last tips would you give them to find a way to dig themselves out of whatever trench that they're in to find the happiness, peace, and success that you have? Well, several years ago, I don't know, more than a decade, certainly, I came up with this term, bounce forward. The notion was if you know, we kept, I kept obsessing initially about, I just need to get back to like it was, I just need to get back to like it was. And I, you know, I'd seen out there, people talked about, bouncing back and bouncing back. And I think I, I start to see other people that as you know, on my journey over the past, however long, couple decades, really practically. Yeah. Of trying to recover from all this and then recovering and going on and paying it forward. But was seeing that seemed to be the number one thing people wanted to do was just bounce back, but bouncing just back, I think really rules out all of the, benefit 
which may sound crazy, but benefit that that has happened since the challenge. Even if it's something unthinkable, I was coaching a woman recently who lost her son. I mean, truly the unthinkable. But she said if there was anything that positive that could have come out of it was who she got to become and the legacy that she's turned her son's memory into and what she's done with it. And my, my advice would be to look at finding a way to let it change you so that you can bounce forward and, and let it serve you on your forward trajectory rather than trying to get back to like it was. Because there's no unringing a bell. When something's happened, it's happened. It's, you know, it's, it's already done. But how can you become better for it? If there's one thing I know, it's that we can become brighter and bigger and bolder and stronger for that which we've endured. And I wish you strength in your journey. I've done, seriously, no kidding, like hundreds of videos on all different topics. Please just go check them out on my site. They're there to help in whatever you're dealing with. But just know that you can be bigger for it. I will link to all of the resources we mentioned in the show notes at mindlove.com slash 015. But you have a free gift for our listeners. You're giving away one of your books. Yes, I want to give it to all of you. It's called How to Get Unstuck. And it's as my gift to you. You can go just download, download a copy. My life is to be of service and I want it to make a difference for you. So please go check it out. It's CherylHunter.com. My name's with a C, C H E R Y L. CherylHunter.com forward slash get dash unstuck. Get hyphen unstuck. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story and being so open. I'm sure it's touched a lot of people. It touched me, like I said. I'm just in awe of you. Melissa, I'm so happy to be here with you today. Thank you. Thank you for your generous heart and your your generosity of spirit to make this difference for people. It's like I really, I just, I think every time we put positive, good stuff out into the universe, it's like it just makes a difference for people. It lets people know the work you do lets people know they're not alone. Thank you for being that voice. Oh, that's so sweet of you to say. And sometimes I need to hear things like that. So thank you. Listeners, the links in this episode are in the show notes, as always, at mindlove.com slash 015. And that will include the link to Cheryl's book, which she's giving away as a free gift to all of you. So be sure to check that out. If you loved this episode, please subscribe on whatever platform that you're using to listen to this show. And if you have a free moment, the best thing you can do to help the growth of this podcast is to leave a review on iTunes. It really helps to trigger the algorithm that moves the show up the charts, helps me find more people and entices more great guests like Cheryl Hunter. I'm grateful for all the reviews that I've gotten so far. I read each and every one of them, and I'm just so blessed to be doing this. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. 
Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.